So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Well, welcome to uh, Deconstructing Health and Fitness. And I'm really excited to have you on as our first official guest expert coming in. So I just want to do a little little intro for you real quick. Um, So this is Ken Vick, and he is the president and high performance director of Velocity Sports Performance Global. And so that means that basically he's been around a long time. He's worked with athletes from so many different disciplines, uh, moving towards the Olympics and other high performance sports. He's run his own facility. He helps run other people's facilities. Uh, He's got it down here. It was 11 Olympic games from 17 countries across 32 professional sports. So I think it's a pretty good way to start. Just don't make me name all the sports. It might take us. Oh, that's okay. I mean, I think that's actually one of the most interesting things about you is that you have such a broad spectrum of experience across different modalities and sports, and um, you know, coaching coaches, coaching athletes, coaching regular people, adult fitness, kids fitness. It's like pretty much if we've got a question, it's that old vanilla ice thing. If we've got a problem yo, you'll probably solve it, right? (laughs) Well, I definitely have been in a lot of different things. Uh, The question is, did I learn anything doing those? That's probably (laughs) the more important uh, question. Yeah, well, let's find out. I think that's a good place to start because that's actually sort of the the gist of this is, is, you know, fitness hasn't been around as long as some other things. I mean, if you want to go back to the original Olympics, we can say fitness has been around, but the evolution of how we coach and how we um, motivate athletes has changed a huge amount, I think, in at least the last 10 years. And so that's kind of what I wanted to get into with you today was, you know, from your personal viewpoint, how have things really evolved? Oh, don't start too broad. How have things yeah. evolved? Right. Yeah. No, I think you make a good point though. As a, as a profession, you know, that's definitely newer. The idea, and this is maybe a good thought place to start, right? What is fitness? Um, Being active, uh, trying to take care of yourself. Yeah, those go back a long ways. And maybe at one time, because of what we did in life and in the world and labor, uh, you didn't have to make an effort to stay in shape. It just was what it was. We're in a different society. So obviously we do now. And then you get to the business of that and you get to the business of fitness. What does that mean? Then, you know, we do delve into the area of business of sports performance. So what's changed? What's evolved? <sighs> Not enough. Um, <laughs> tons and, and, and nothing. So nothing. It, it's still about people. That's kind of where I'd start and we can go down that pathway. Uh, a lot. While it's about people, people have different levels of knowledge now. Uh, the people delivering this, it's a business now where once it wasn't, or maybe it was just phys ed in school, or it was a, a gym you went to and did some stuff. Now it's a business and that fitness has become wellness and lifestyle. So some things are the same. The body's still the human body. Uh, it's about people and coaching on the other side, man, there's so much different stuff in technology, places, business. Yeah. So where do we go with that? You tell me. I think a really good place to start is the profession of fitness or the profession of coaching itself. Because if we look back, you know, even to the days of Jack LaLanne, he was just a really inspiring guy who had some pretty good ideas, but he didn't necessarily have all of the science to back him up. And yet he was able to really generate a tremendous following and a tremendous movement behind him in fitness that then led to the science, you know? And I think the the biggest shift I would like to know about from your perspective is like how has the education of fitness professionals evolved? How's it evolved? Or uh, not? I guess. Also, you know, <laughs> maybe when I look at it today, I would say it's definitely changed, but it might almost be in some ways. Uh, maybe it always has. It, it's divulging in different directions. Hmm. Um, so when I look at 
fitness, when I look at sports performance, any of these things, I would say that aspect of coaching it or guiding it of people is both an art and a science. Like you said, like Jack Lane took the relationship part. He probably didn't think about the science, but he had the art down of inspiring, motivating, making it interesting, communicating. He, he nailed it, right? And made things happen with that art. Um, on the other hand, the science is there too. So what do I see today? We have a lot more education. There's degrees in this. There weren't, I mean, 20 years ago, maybe not a lot. 30, 40 years ago, definitely not. Right. So today we have education. Um, and you know what, I would say education going into like kinesiology is almost like psychology often was talked about in the past as a major. It's kind of this fallback major. Oh, I don't know what I want to study. I kind of played sports in high school. I like being active. I'll be in kinesiology. Yeah. Um, but that's the science. And I would, I'm pretty hard on programs. I think a lot of those programs do a really crappy job of preparing people because they do teach the science. Don't get yeah. me wrong. And they can do that well. But I mean, Chris, think about it. This is, it's about people. And if yeah. you went through and got an education in science and you never actually dealt with the coaching side of people, you're ready to be a researcher or a clinician, but not a coach or a fitness professional. Well, and you and I have had conversations about this in the past about the, the challenges of hiring coaches to do this multifaceted job that is part art, part science, right? Which is, you know, you can get somebody with a kinesiology degree who has this tremendous knowledge of human movement, but then you put them in front of a human and they can't make the human move. And then you get somebody who's like super charismatic and you're watching all of these like crazy form deviations go on, but everybody's having a great time. And it's finding that blended fitness or coach or you know, I'm going to use fitness professional for lack of a better term for it at the moment of somebody who can do a bit of both and actually manage to generate some quality movement and some engagement with their, their clientele as well is, is sort of, I think it's one of the biggest challenges still. And I do see it improving. I have to say in the last couple of years, you know, all of the crazy COVID stuff aside in the last couple of years, I've actually seen a lot more fitness professionals starting to talk psychology. Mm. Which I wasn't. Well, psychology is a big one. No, I think you just hit on a big one, right? Like the science of exercise physiology, it's a great base. It's a great foundation for a lot of this stuff, but it doesn't go that far. The beauty of psychology is there's an element of what we'd, you know, kind of consider both art and science, yeah. um, often consider a, a softer skill, but there's definitely science behind it, but it's applied in an art. So psychology is a really nice place to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'd agree with you. I think there's a lot more discussion. Um, there's acknowledgement of it. There's people chasing it. Uh, so yeah, no, I think that's true. And God, I remember working with our first sports psychologist I started working with was probably in like the mid late, late nineties, let's call it. Uh, and he's pretty well known today, but I mean, it was still banging on doors to get the idea or, or trying to get athletes to understand psychology is a good thing. Uh, yeah. It's not something that happens there in a room on a couch where nobody talks about it and hides. So yeah, it's definitely still got a ways to go. Right. Or something to be, because I think psychology got labeled with a negative, like yeah. monster very early. Like you only talk to somebody about what's going on if something's wrong. And the reality is, is that when you're, you're reaching for high performance or, you know, the ultimate level of human performance, what's going on in your head is actually a huge component of that. And, you know, there are books all over the place written about people's experience with being ultra competitive athletes. And it's, it sort of becomes a bit insane that we didn't look at psychology sooner or behavior change, or even, Boy. you know, you can take sociology and anthropology in and dump them in this bucket of, of things we should be really paying more attention to um, with training our fitness and coaching professionals. Totally. I mean, it, it's, you know, um, and right now I think we're seeing a good, not good, but the reality of the situation with pandemic and changes okay. in people's routines, lifestyles, access, um, you're seeing why it matters. Uh, you're, you're being forced to examine some of the stuff around, like you said, sociology, psychology, what happens in an environment? What do people need out of this? And, you know, you talk about what's changing. Look, here, here's a wake up call for a lot of people that coach humans, right? Whether you're in sports or you're in fitness or wellness, people now have access to lots of help. Uh, you don't have to leave. Suddenly the world woke up to the fact that, oh, I can work out at home. Oh, I can 
follow a workout program on an app. If I need to know sets and reps and somebody to count reps, I have tech to do that for me. If you were a trainer at a gym who all you did was gave people exercises and told them sets and reps, I don't know what you're doing right now because you're not in the gym and they don't really need you for that. So you better offer something more. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because this was something I can remember um, Dr. Berardi talking about a precision nutrition, something like seven years ago at a seminar I went to of his, and he said almost literally word for word what you just said right now, which was, if the only thing you're offering going into the future of this business is sets and reps, you're going to find it really hard to compete. You know, and I remember thinking to myself like, yeah, because when I came into fitness, I'd come out of 15 years of, of teaching and building curriculum and, and running language schools. And so like I was very well aware that you had to have these interpersonal skills and abilities to be able to motivate people to do something they were uncomfortable with, because there's not a lot that's more uncomfortable than speaking a foreign language. Mm, yeah. You know, and you don't, <laughs> yes. we don't think about that until we're actually in that situation. It's like, it's fun to read a book and, you know, fantasize about learning Spanish or French or whatever, but to be standing in front of somebody that you need something from and actually have to get those words out of your mouth is really scary. Um, and I would, yeah, I would, it is. <laughs> I would go say it's just as scary as, as walking into a gym for the first time for some people. And so I think it was really interesting to me when I came into fitness, that this wasn't something that was already really, really well established because there are commonalities, you know, like, well, and you bring something to this that I think I've heard quite a few times often when somebody delves into the world of fitness and training and sports, and they're coming from a different professional background, Mm -hmm. they walk in and in all honesty, they go, holy crap, why is this such a mess? Why is this Uh, You know, in many cases, why is this so amateur? Why is it unorganized? Why are people not seeing other things? And because it was this world that was just doing its own thing. And look, the bar to entry in this stuff is too low, Um, which is great from that democratic opportunistic standpoint of good. People can come into it and do new things. And that helps. But anybody that just looks like they're in shape or, or the former athlete who maybe played college sports or something can say, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this. I can do it. So look at me. Therefore, I'll show you how to do it. May or may not work. They don't necessarily know anything about teaching, about pedagogy, about systems or structures. And the bar in this field is too low. And that's where we have half the problems. And now we have social media, which then can amplify (laughs) both good things and bad things. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's interesting. Go ahead. Speaking on that, I just want to ask. uh, So if I think that is so... So true. Um, I know in my past, I've looked at someone, I'm like, damn, you're in good shape. Well, obviously, you can tell me to look how to look like you. It's very, you know, as simple as that. So for people who who are looking for a coach, especially during this time, and maybe they are looking online, what are some things that they can be looking for to, or some questions they can specifically ask so they know this individual actually knows how to teach, what they're doing, um, beyond maybe just credentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, eh, Elizabeth, it's a huge question. Um, it's a really hard one, but I think, like you said, first of all, it's understandable. So let's not, not totally knock it because if I want to learn something, I probably want to go and learn it from somebody that can do it. Right. And there's visual proof if somebody's visually in shape and I want to get visually in shape, hey, they have some credibility or they can run fast. I want to run fast. So it's not that it's a bad thing. Uh, It makes sense. But then if you really want to get the results, though, you got to kind of dig deeper. And so there's no one magic thing. I think when somebody asks me this, uh, I usually tell them, one, go look and see if they were professional enough to get an education or a certification. Did they do something? Okay, kind of as a minimum bar, because if the person doing it cares about doing it and takes it seriously, they will have gone and done something to learn and get some credibility. So kind of bottom bar, right? Did they get a certification or a degree or something? Okay. Um, Second, then becomes finding out what they believe in. And that's, again, not the highest bar, but can they at least tell me something like, all right, how do you get fit? How do you help people? get fit? What do you think is the most, just any type of question that explores their why 
and this is just people using their basic common sense then of hearing an answer. Um, you don't have to know if the answer is right or wrong at that stage, but you better have somebody that has beliefs. So great, get some education or certification, see if this person has beliefs. And then if you wanna do some diligence, then you kind of hit a couple more things. One is, what have you done? Um, show me some background, show me some reason to believe in you. Okay, that's good. And then two, or then the, the next step would be, all right, let's, how do we explore this methodology? Because in the long run, this is about teach, coaching involves teaching and guiding people through this process. And if I want something that's gonna work for me, I gotta find the right person. There's lots of ways to get there. There's not one answer. It's one of the worst things I hate about this field is so many people think there's only one way. Um, so, you I know, that, that, that's kind of where I'd that go was, with it, those things. That was great. And I think that, there, I think like in the, in the, in the case of say a doctor or something, you wouldn't go to a doctor and your, you and your doctor don't mesh and be like, well, I, I tried doctor and that's not for me, I guess. <laughs> so if you haven't experienced the coach that, you know, it didn't, it didn't mesh well with you, there's every taste in the rainbow to bring it so Skittles, much. Skittles reference, yeah. <laughs> taste the yeah. rainbow of coaches. Well, I it think is. It's, yeah. What's really important to remember is that it's a really personal relationship, right? Because Ken's totally right in the sense that like knowledge matters, approach matters, you know, and their, their actual experience matters, but it also matters if they're willing to listen to you because the same thing is with the doctor. If you go to a doctor and you say, oh, you know, this particular thing hurts. And he's like, oh, it's your, it's your shoulder. It's you have a rotator cuff tear. And you're like, well, I'm not sure. And he's like, no, it's a rotator cuff tear. That's what it is. And if you find yourself in that kind of dialogue where the person that you're employing to help you isn't going to listen to what you're saying and listen to your personal experience on it, they may not be the best equipped mm -hmm. to help you because they may not have enough tools at their disposal to listen and then adapt their approach to what you need. Wow. Yeah, such a good it, point. It's a, it's a really good point. And here's one of the upsides of what we're going through right now. I really think this has been a forcing function. Yeah. Um, the the pandemic, the isolation, the quarantines, the shutdowns, all these things has been a forcing function for a lot of people to really ask questions about what they think fitness is, what yep. they're doing, what they're looking for. This is this has changed things that aren't coming back. I mean, it, it's changed going forward. Yeah. And I think it comes back around full circle to that initial question of like, how exactly did fitness get here to where it is right now with this sort of it's kind of messy and it's not super organized and it's sort of, you know, it's hit or miss. You can find some really, really amazing coaches out there, or you can find some people who really are not doing it for the right reasons. And how do you navigate that? I mean, I think the pandemic has done us a favor in the sense that anybody who doesn't have a very serious interest and devoted like passion for helping people and for genuinely teaching this stuff and learning this stuff, they're, they're not surviving this period. And that's okay. I mean, that may just be a great wake up call for those people to say, Hey, this really wasn't for me. Yeah. But for those of us, it's sort of the, and I hate to use this analogy because I don't really think it's about, it's the cream rising to the top. Right. But it's more of like a shifting. If you're, if you're shaking up a bucket of sand, you know, you're going to end up with the big rocks left over when all the other stuff falls out. And I think that's actually gonna help us. That's gonna help us navigate this better. And that's actually why I wanted to do this series uh, of the podcast and talk to different experts was because there are people who have been in this a really long time like you, Ken. And so it's like, there are things that have changed and there are things that grew way too fast. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it just meant we got a lot of random going on and we could we could now step away from it. And I was actually reading this really interesting article about geology majors. And there was this university, I can't remember what university it was that I was reading about, but it was written by a tenured professor who was saying that his geology department almost got completely cut despite having grant money, like coming out of the years, they, they're getting grants left and right to do this research, but the curriculum they were offering was so outdated that no one was taking their classes. They were only getting something like 10 majors a year coming in taking their classes. And so the, the overseeing body of the university is like, well, you're just not, you're not a viable department because you can't bring in revenue via tuition. Therefore you have to go. And they almost lost the geology department, which when you back away from that is insane, 
why would we stop studying geology? And this professor fought hard to revamp the curriculum and take a look at what they were teaching and how it was relevant to students coming out of college today. And they found that it was just a simple shift towards like climate focused geology, towards dealing with issues that are interesting to people today, towards careers that are up and coming today versus being like, hey, here's rocks. Let's look at them. And I think that's where we're at in fitness is like, we were at the like kinesiology. Here's how the body works, right? Here's how movement works. Here's physiology. Great. But there was no meshing. And this is what we were talking about at the beginning there. There's no blend of coaching professional coming out of college. Either you're great at the science, you're great at the psychology, or you're great at actually moving your body because you were an athlete. And we need somebody who can do all three. And hopefully, hopefully. hopefully. I mean, maybe. My challenge on that one. Why? Because, so I I agree. I I agree with that, Chris. And I think you know this. Uh, That's what we try to uh, encourage. It's why what we try to do through our education programs. We try to build that, foster that. But I don't know that we do need somebody that can always do all those things. I think we need to be open to different ways that maybe it's not a one person answer. And that's yeah. that becomes one of the issues in this field is we often end up, oh, somebody has to have all the answers. They have to be able to tell me how to eat, how to sleep, how to lift weights, how to run, how to schedule my yoga, how to do my minds. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, when we work with a pro team or we work with elite athletes, We don't expect one person to do it all. We teach a lot. We want our coaches to do a lot. But the reality is we create what we call integrated support teams. We want somebody on that team that's really good at this piece and another person at this piece. And they need to be a team. So I I think I'm with you where you're at in terms of people that can blend these things. Yeah. But I also think that we got to be careful talking about that because expecting somebody to be able to do it all is probably going to set us up for failure. I 100% agree with that. I actually think that's a really, it's a much more sensible way of running the system, isn't it? Because fitness and health and all of this stuff works so much better when you collaborate with other um, disciplines. And you know that, I mean, this is one of the things that I've been lucky enough to do with you is be part of these teams. And I think that was for me really like, it was a really big moment for me where I realized I don't have to be an island you know, because in the fitness profession world, because of the way things are are geared, it's like you sort of feel like when you come up through regular fitness, you have to be all the things because you end up being held up as like this guru of, you know, health and fitness and nutrition and all of this stuff. And you're seeing this blending of movement and nutrition all the time, especially out here in LA. And it, it, it's actually quite dangerous because you're right. You can't know all the things. Yeah. <laughs> You can't, and it does take a team. And you know, this is what we talked about when we very first met was I was working really hard towards building that kind of team where we could actually have these interdisciplinary teams that would work together with a client base. And it's hard to navigate that in the fitness industry, the way fitness as a business works. Yeah, it, it is. And I think I'd take, I'd take some lessons for obviously I've been in these different realms, but I'm much more heavily influenced by the the sports performance world. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the base things that you're talking about, though, having some education in these different pieces is actually really key. So mm-hmm. I don't think people need to be experts in them all. But if you want to be actively involved in this field and all you understand is nutrition, but you haven't thought about human movement and psychology and other stuff, you're a clinician. If all you know is strength exercises, but none of the rest, again, you're really limited. So you might have a focus, but you have to have a broad perspective, at least enough so that you can have a conversation. What what I always encourage people to do is learn enough that you can ask really good questions. Um, And that's, here's the secret. When I lead stuff in business and teams and high performance stuff, my real skill is asking questions. Yeah. I find good questions and try to find people that can answer them. I, I think that's so important what you just said, because it goes back to what I was saying about when you're looking for a coach as an individual coming in and you want somebody to come and help you. 
I, I think I said something about, is that person asking you questions? Are they listening to what you're saying? Are they trying to get your perspective on it? Because that's actually how we collaborate the best as human beings, right? Is when we're, we're open to communicating. I did several years as a cross-cultural trainer um, when I was living in the Czech Republic. And this is one of the key ideas that we had to teach people was like how to actually listen, not just with your ears, but with your eyes to be able to see what people's body language was saying, to be able to see how people were reacting to you, to be able to interpret the nonverbal signals as well, so that you can do a good job of communicating out of your comfort zone, out of your assumption. And so, I mean, this is a lot to ask. I'm not saying that like coaches need to be cross-cultural trainers or anything, but this idea of finding a professional that can listen to you and can hear where you're coming from is, is the most important thing. Whether you're talking negotiations, you're talking diplomacy, you're talking, you know, coaching relationships, interpersonal relationships. This is a skill I feel like really we need to focus in on more, you know, across the board. You said, you know, you talk about what's changing and that kind of leads to a question of what needs to change. I still think that side of it. So there's coaches who are really good at the art of coaching. Sometimes we talk about in terms of engaging and other things, but even then some of those, those people that focus only on that side and not the science don't communicate or, or don't truly communicate and build a relationship because they might be motivating and rah, rah, and that works for a while, but you're going to miss things. You're going to have yeah. a problem. And, and the scientist who can't communicate. So communication and, you know, the skills that go with that are huge. And I, I would definitely say for me, uh, moving into an international realm working and going through those experiences with different cultures and different mm-hmm. languages. Wow. What a new perspective. There's kind of always cultures. I've worked in a lot of sports, right? Yeah. And so there's a, there was a point in my career, uh, where I was working in hockey. So I was, um, heading up a minor league team on strength and conditioning, which was kind of a part-time role. I wasn't there all the time, uh, but I was also involved in consulting with an NHL team. And then I was working privately and I was working with a lot of uh, basketball all the time and a lot of stuff through Nike and going through the cultural shift of the sports, going back and forth between basketball and hockey, different cultures. Yeah, if I walk totally. into football and baseball and soccer, all those have cultures, but then you take it to, freaking go into uh, other countries and then not just Western culture like I grew up, but then into an Eastern Asian cultures and different things, man, you, you definitely get a different perspective of communication, learning, listening, which is, I mean, a huge value. Yeah. And it's fascinating stuff. I mean, it's something that's kept me super interested for at least 30 years at this point, because it, it really is so amazing. The commonalities that we share as people, even in different cultures. And then it's just really small differences that can, that's actually what gets you in trouble is you feel like you've reached common ground, but you're still coming from thing, coming at things from a completely opposite perspective to the other person. And that's the danger is making too many assumptions that you're on the same page, I feel like. And so, you know, I, I think God, we could talk about this forever, right? But let's try to... <laughs> I want I I have a question. Hmm. You segmented perfectly into that, Chris. Um, talking about our commonalities as part of the human race. Uh, this is a collaborative question for you two, Chris. You've worked with really high level athletes, um, but then also with people who are like, I want to get up off the couch today. I've decided that after forty five years. Mm-hmm. But for both of you, are there some? major commonalities between these high level athletes and what they struggle with and people who are really starting? I think both Ken and I are going to say yes at the same time, because (laughs) he's definitely had the, you know, gamut of experience um, with different clientele as well. So I'll let you go first, Ken, because people have heard what I have to say on this podcast already a lot. Uh, Okay. Um, (laughs) Of course. Yeah, Uh, there, there are, because end of the day that we have more commonalities than differences and that's everything from movement. I mean, yeah, athletes, whatever sport they're in have certain uh, extremes genetically, but most of it's the same. We still have same things we need to do for our bodies to be healthy and move. So yeah, there's tons of commonalities, but I think even more so the bigger commonality is we're beyond being athletes or people that move, we're people. And the behavior side of it, you know, 
going back to what Chris said earlier on psychology, the behavior side is huge because it doesn't matter if I have the best program or the best, best genetics. And I've been down this pathway. I've seen some amazing athletes, but if they didn't have the behavior, the habits, the discipline, the focus or drive to do certain things, it doesn't really matter how talented they are. They're going to reach a limit that those natural gifts will take them to. So it's the same thing with behavior of me having to figure out how to create a routine, a lifestyle, a purpose to get up and go, you know, train at 5 a.m. in the morning while I still have another job and I'm trying to make an Olympics three years from now. Yeah. It's a habit. And same thing, the person that, like you said, wants to get up off the couch. Like I got to have a reason to do it. And all that comes back to behavior and psychology. So I think those pieces are so common and, um, you know, you can kind of take this off another path, but right now we're finally starting to see some recognition that there's athletes that have mental health issues and it's hard. Yeah. And for people that aren't in sports, you got to understand there's athletes that struggle with motivation, with depression, with those same issues as the person that's overweight on the couch and can't break their eating habit or their smoking habit. There's more similar than people realize. Absolutely. And I want to interject one more onto your list and it's inadequacy, right? This whole idea of imposter syndrome. It's phenomenal to me. I've, you know, throughout all of the different random opportunities I've had in my career to work with high level athletes, regular people, like Liz says, or, you know, teaching CEOs of international companies how to negotiate in English everyone comes to the table. And this was one of the things I think that shocked me the most um, was everyone comes to the table feeling like, how did I get here? Do I really belong here? Like, is this really, does everybody really know what I, (laughs) what I'm thinking? Is this really somewhere I belong? And I think once you realize that literally everyone has those feelings at some point, it sort of levels the playing field again. And it makes it less intimidating to talk to people that you might want to talk to or interact with people who have been successful at something that you haven't, because you realize that everyone has an area in their life where they're not confident. Everyone. And so it's sort of like those commonalities can then fuel us to become better because it takes away the shame. It takes away the shame that somebody might find out that I'm not who they think I am. If that makes any sense. And I, and I, it's something I try to tell my kid a lot. It's like, really, you know, everybody is so similar. They have really similar feelings to what you're feeling. So if you're feeling scared and nervous in a situation, if you look to your right or left, probably the people next to you are feeling that same thing, you know, so you don't have to feel alone, I think. And, and it's, it's one of the top five things I feel like fitness tries to address because it, and this is where CrossFit was magic, right? When CrossFit came out, what it did was it took that barrier away from fitness, right? Because people were afraid to go into a regular gym. People were afraid to try to compete at sports. But then when CrossFit came, it was like, no, just show up and have fun. And it's a community. Hmm. And that well, the community part. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what it was. It was the community part. It was this idea of somewhere you belonged. Oh, huge. I mean, it's, it's funny. And obviously within the, the performance or strength conditioning side, you get very extreme or or divergent opinions on something like CrossFit. And I most, mostly I just laugh about it because first of all, what do you think that means to you? Because depending on who you ask, it's entirely different answers of what CrossFit is. But if you're really arguing and can't see that there was something in creating community, it kind of speaks back to what you might be missing. I I think that's, and we're going through it right now as a business. Mm -hmm. I can tell you with locations across the country, the places that are currently thriving or surviving, at least, and some are thriving. We actually have places that are growing right now, a few, uh, and we have others that they're dying. They're gonna be gone or they're gone or they're gonna be. And the ones that are surviving and thriving have community. They offer something more Mm -hmm. than just exercises. They have relationships with people, but they have a deeper connection than just telling them some exercises and sets and reps. Um, Community is making those businesses move forward right now. Yeah. And And what would you, sorry, sorry. (laughs) and what would you say um, 
Cause I know I was definitely in that boat. Like Chris and I were working out multiple days a week with another friend. And I, I was a lifelong alone loner worker out or a loner. And once I got that sense of community and accountability, I was like, Oh man, changing my life. And then quarantine hit. And I was like, well, doesn't this (laughs) just suck? And so what do you like, how do you think people what do you think is a, a, a way for people to still get people like me who who you know are struggling really with getting they just got that sense of community and then it just like got snatched away from them what is something that we could do during this time until we can touch each other again and be in the same room what can we do <laughs> no, uh, right. Like, uh, how do you do this? Well, uh, yeah. look, if you, if as you were somebody that liked being alone in, or were used to it, at least one of the things I would always explore is like, what's the mix for you? Is it that now you're going, Oh, I would need this all the time to be with community or is it, I need some community, but man, I still like doing some things on my own. And, and, and I just share, as I ask that question, like for me, I like a piece of both. I definitely like some of my workouts or or a larger portion of my workouts to probably be on my own. Um, as much as I like teams and I'm a team sport person, that's where I came from. I love it. I really like having the time for me to just work out as me. So I want to mix. But like, what does that mean for you? What have you kind of learned during this time where you're forced to? Like, how much do you think you need of each? Have you noticed how he, he managed to turn that into a question for you? Because yeah, that's great. Really the skill we were talking about, about asking good questions. Yes. Right? And you and I well, go. You got to be curious, stuff. though. If, if you come into things in honesty with curiosity, yep. then you can ask questions and then you have to. That's such a that was such an interesting question because I know when I was working out with Chris, I and when I um I really, really got into weightlifting and going to the gym, even though I created like a barrier around myself, like no one touched me, no one talked to me, I don't like people, um, unless I was actually going with someone like Chris. Uh I I really was very into weightlifting. I thought that was wonderful. And now that I can't be around anyone, the only exercise I ever do now is hiking. And I'm like, that's the only thing I want. I can't stand my, my fiance got all sorts of bunches of weights and a weight bench and all sorts of things. And I'm like, I don't want to like sit in a room and lift weights. I want to go, I want to go out and hike and I'm not, and I, I refuse to like weightlift, not, not really intentionally, but just like, that sounds awful. And it's like led me completely down this other, this other form of movement. So that, that begs the question of what was it you were really getting from weightlifting? Was it actually the weightlifting itself that was so motivational for you? Or was it the community that you were getting in that sense? Or was it something else? It was the, it was the gem, the gem life. It was a community with you for sure. But it was also, there was something, even though I'm really an introvert, there was something magical about being like, I'm going to go to the gym and you walk out like all sweaty and you're just like, yeah, just pump some iron at the gym. And I feel so good about myself, but pumping iron in my underwear, watching the golden girls is not really (laughs) thrilling and it is not Not very glamorous. But no. I'm, but going on my hike, going on my hike now, and going to find a big giant rock to sit on and look at the river and hiking up like a mountain. I'm like, well, that's that's thrilling. Maybe it's the maybe it's the glamour. Maybe ah, that's maybe what I'm looking thrill, for, right? So the that was thrill. Was what's the common thing between those two activities you just described? Because it was a feeling, wasn't it? It wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily the activity. It was a feeling. It was absolutely a feeling. Yeah. Wow. I think it's really great that you're able to find that feeling in different things. And this goes back to what Ken was saying earlier about with fitness basically shutting down, people were out in the world and look for this feeling somewhere else. And they came to the realization, a lot of people that, hey, I can still get this. 
I can still get this feeling from something else, from something I didn't really know I could before. And it sort of broadens your broadens your horizons. And I think that was one of the biggest things fitness was guilty of. And this is what Ken was saying is, is this narrowing of there's only one way to do this. There's only one way to be fit. And if you're not doing this one thing, then everything else you do isn't helping you. And I think that that doesn't get to stay, which I'm kind of excited about. I hope we don't know. Oh, it's been blown up. <laughs> it's been yeah. blown up. I mean, and, 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 you know, as you said, like, I think there's a big and a big win, if it, you will, is that people are thinking about outside of the gym and outdoors in general. It's been a safe place. It's been accessible. Uh, maybe you had time you didn't have before instead of driving somewhere to work. And so, Oh, wait, I can go outside. And I'll be honest, like over the last year, even before things hit, but I was kind of on this personal space was my favorite workouts are with a kettlebell in the backyard, barefoot in the grass. And that's mm. where I was having fun when it was a nice sunny day. Um, yeah. So I, I think a lot of people have discovered that. And that's, that's a good thing. I'd also question this kind of going back. One of the other areas I would wonder if it worked for you going to the gym is, when somebody is learning something new or they're not as comfortable with having a community support structure, I think is a really win too. Like when you get confident in it, it's a little bit easier to go do it on your own or it's already a habit. But if it's a new habit and we go to habit psychology um, or you need instruction and feedback, that's again, a place where community or other people are going to be helpful too. Yeah, I think we'll keep seeing that happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this brings me kind of down to, we've, we've done a really good job of not directly asking any of the questions I wanted to talk about during this podcast. <laughs> good. Whoa, win. Um, but one of the things I do definitely want to get out of you is sort of like the top five myths that you feel permeate fitness and sports performance that, you, that you'd like to see disappear. I think we touched on one just now. Um, it doesn't have to be five. Maybe it's two. Five. The one, top five, huh? Whatever. I mean, just... You know. but the problem's not getting, the problem's not finding too few. It's fine, having way way too many. It's always cutting away uh, and simplifying too fewer is much harder than coming up with a list because the list is long. Yeah. Um, all right. So what are some top things for me? I think yeah, we're hitting around one in quite a few ways. But the idea that in the fitness realm there's only one way to be successful. Um, and I'm going to cheat here and make that two parts. Um, but one way to be successful, meaning there's only this way that works, or I have to stay on the same way, the same path forever. Yeah. There's more than one way. And that means I can do something totally different than somebody else and still be right. And I can change it as I go. And that's still a good thing. So the myth that there's a way, yeah, terrible. So we've kind of hit that. Uh, okay. What else is a big one that I'd like to see change? Um, do you think that that's different between um, professional athletes and the the regular everyday fitness person? Do you think there's that's yeah. the myth that covers everyone? Uh, well, so is there only one way? No, that is universal. That is also true in sports performance. Um, and we see this. This is one of the nice things about being in multiple sports, multiple countries, different things. There's more than one way to get to the top. And people kind of know this, right? Like different basketball teams with different styles of play get to the top. And in football and baseball, like you don't have to have the same exact players and style, although there's a lot of that. Different ways can work to win and different ways can work for athletes uh, to get there as well. So coaches get caught up in, oh, I only do Olympic weightlifting or we only do slow kettle or bands or whatever it is. No, mm -hmm. there's more than one way to get there. So I think that part's universal. Mm. I think that actually, you know, when we talk about this with products and services, this is called disruption, right? This is what we call it when it's just like Apple. Apple was massively disruptive. Facebook, massive disruptor. Things that people said we shouldn't do them this way. And maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe there's some drawbacks. But at the same time, I think I think you're right in the sense that there are definitely some things we know, you know, we know that certain things work better than others, but there's still a lot of room for yeah. innovation. Yeah. There's still dumb stuff. There's still <laughs> things that'll hurt you. Uh, but, yeah. but <laughs> people cling Go. to a way. <laughs> Such as what? Pokemon Go. <laughs> Pokemon Go. That's a thing. People died, Chris. What? How have I missed people, that? 
people oh, running out in front of traffic because and, they were yeah. yeah they were trying to chase pikachu or something oh from that that app thing where you would like yes Pokemon in real yeah life. but it was supposed to like also encourage people i think to walk around and you know probably get some exercise i'm like but also use your common sense. Oh, well, there, there's a big ask right there. I mean, come on, <laughs> using common sense. Let, let's look around in society right now. We yeah. can say we need some encouragement of common sense. We won't go too far down this path, but, but you know, come on. <laughs> oh, now in your name street, right? Oh, boy. Okay, all right. That was one. Okay. Um, what's another one? You know what? I mean, this is kind of a little domain specific, but it's an area... No, just more under my own passions and in sports training is um, people think that the amount of weight on a barbell equals strength. <laughs> and in our performance field, this leads to a lot of fighting and questions. How much strength do you need? Should I have more weight, less weight things? If you think, and again, this is kind of sports narrowed, but if you're only measuring the way you think of strength is how much weight you can lift on a barbell, you don't understand sports. Sports are about human movement and all movement comes from the production and application of force, but there's different rates of force development. There's different uh, eccentric and concentric. There's different time domains and power. Strength has a whole continuum across different loads and speeds and types of movement. So I see so many of the things on the performance side of the field that get argued about are just such a waste of time because your perspective still set on a freaking barbell. And I was a weightlifting coach, right? I right. love barbells, love it to this day. But if that's the only view you have, your world's way too limited. So yeah, strength is a lot more, or athletic strength is a lot more than just weight on a barbell. So you're basically saying we need to be using appropriate metrics for appropriate like desired outputs rather than just applying one standard across the board to everything. Yeah, there's a little bit of a comeback to why, right? Yeah. So one of the things, you know, everybody knows the KISS principle, uh, keep it simple, stupid. Um, I, I talk about the it's principle. Are you still nowadays? I do. I, I'm a curmudgeon. Remember, I'm growing this beard. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm going to be the old curmudgeon guy who says stuff like that. That's um, what you got to say when you whack somebody, just keep it simple. <laughs> Well, so to coaches, I want to whack them with the cane because I, there's a, so many times we sit there in a conversation and you're listening to this conversation, get off track and they've forgotten the key thing. Yeah. And it's the, it's principle. I say I T S S it's the sports, stupid coaches, especially strength coaches get caught up in how much weight we're lifting oh. and how much mass you got. There's no bench out at mid court. We don't squat at the 50 yard line. And I love that stuff, but we don't do it. So it's the sport. And as you kind of get going and stuff, you got to keep checking yourself and come back to, okay, what's the purpose? And same thing when you get to fitness or wellness. Yeah. Come back to the purpose. Don't forget that. That's awesome. I, I love that you've made that link between what happens with the elite performance side but what also happens with regular people, because I see this in regular clients too, where they're really hyper-focused on something that actually it, it, they're missing for the trees, you know? And we yeah. talked about this before, and I think you mentioned it, it's sort of been passing, but this idea of like, there are commonalities everywhere. And when it comes to taking care of the human machine, there are just sort of five or six pillars that if your foundation isn't strong on, you're going to have problems up the chain. doesn't matter what you can bench or, you know, how you, it doesn't matter how good your nutrition is a week before the competition, if it was terrible for six months leading up to it, you know, it's, it's really about how quality of the foundation are you building and, and how, how well do you really see the big picture of it? Yeah. So, all right. Much. That's two. That was only two. Oh crap. That was only two. <laughs> I think we went pretty broad with those two, but um, okay. I mean, what's another some- big myth? <laughs> Uh, another big myth. Well, I think we've kind of hit on this and, and, you know, it's a sub of the one way, but I'm going to go with it anyways, that fitness happens in a gym. I think that's one of the things that's still a big myth and fitness doesn't happen in a gym in an hour format in a coached workout or with certain things written down on a whiteboard or on an app or a paper. 
it's about process. It's changing it from a very, the mindset of a very specific thing to it's a process. It's a journey. Uh, it's exploring movement. It's exploring life. Um, fitness is a lot more than, than what happens in a gym. Yeah. I can actually remember back when I first started as a personal trainer at a 24 hour fitness, um, I used to get in trouble because I would tell my clients to do their cardio outside because they weren't checking into the gym to do it. The gym, like the, the management of the gym was saying to me, basically what doesn't count as a workout. And I was like, but that's insane. We live in Southern California. It's like (laughs) 65 degrees all year. Why are these people not outside all the extra benefits and all of the, the mood boosting and all of the enjoyment of exercise, all of these other factors that keep people going. You're telling me I, okay. And I can remember that was one of my first big moments was like something, something isn't what I expected here, you know? Yeah. And so I think, I think I've really, well, those I really enjoyed are watching. I know, right? right? That's not happening. And we're even at a point now where businesses know, okay, it is not an either or, it's and. Um, And that that applies to a lot of things. It's kind of a a mantra I live with is, uh, and is so much better than or. I mean, it's how you solve things in in a VUCA world. I mean, it's what you have to do. How you do stand up improv too. It's yes and. Right. right. Teaches a lot about uh, taking care of customers and uh, helping people. So, agreed. All right. Another That's myth. Great. What's a myth I deal with I mean, or hear a lot? Five, but. Okay. No, no. Here's a big one. And again, okay. this is kind of domain specific. But um, on the sports side of stuff, the myth of you have to have sports specific training. <laughs> yes, you do. Because the, the reality is, yes, of course you do. But again, it comes back to what exactly do you mean by those words? And I don't think those words mean what you think those words mean. Mm. Um, people think sports specific training is necessary. It's logical, right? Like, okay, if I want to be the best at basketball mm. by the time I'm in my 20s, I need to focus on basketball. And the sooner I start, the better that's going to be. It, it makes sense. It's kind of, lo- it's very logical. Um, here's the problem is it's too limited of a view because to be a great basketball player, what I really have to be is I have to have tremendous basketball skills that are supported by a foundation of athleticism. And that foundation has to be big enough. And so people think, oh yeah, sports specific, but that's rarely actually gets you to the highest level or sustainably uh, might get you there, but probably not for long if you don't have the rest. And and we've lived this. It's interesting working in sports around the world and, and in countries that take kids at a young age and pigeonhole them into a sport. And we see what happens. Yeah. Most end up broken and burnt out. Um, so sports-specific training, if you mean stuff that looks like the sport and only playing the sport, you're, you're, you're limiting the potential. Sports-specific training, meaning things that build well-rounded athleticism. Yeah. That's sport specific. You're training to be able to act, be active and move in sport. Yeah. And there's a whole lot we can talk about um, in the domain of youth performance and youth sports, because with the specialization, I know you've seen it. I've seen it. My PT that I work with, who I'm hoping is going to come on here next week has, has talked to me a bit about the increase in sports specific injury he's seeing in younger and younger populations, because what we're not doing is training the whole athlete and our children are much more sedentary. You know, we're, we're not living in an environment where they go run around outside and climb trees and and do all sorts of things that promote balance and agility and coordination that they used to do. And this kind of multifaceted sort of cultural shift is having a huge impact on our athletes longevity. Yeah. A whole nother podcast. All right. Yeah. No, that's uh, I trust me. We can <laughs> spend a lot of time. This is where our right. uh, velocity sports performance world, you know, we have the, the international elite side and then we have the youth side and um, yeah, we live there every day. So yeah, I could spend a lot of time. All right. One last one. Let me give you one more. So miss, what do I deal with a lot? Um, yeah, let's, I mean, I think we've kind of hit it, but I think one of the biggest myths is actually people coming into this field, the people that want to be coaches, I think they get caught up in the or of art or science. Yeah. And it's because what they're either shown or what they end up following, there's people that go down a pathway of, okay, I have to learn every piece of the science. 
And, and they might be in an environment that's really hammering with that and vice versa. There's others that go down and look, the thing that's being rewarded is I have to build relationships. I have to get the person into the gym more. I got to sell three more private training sessions and it's my art that way that's driving it. And a lot of our environments, both in sport and fitness, they really do drive separation of these things. And I don't think enough encourage and doing both. Um, so I think there's a little bit, maybe it's not truly a myth, but but there's a misconception or a problem of driving people to one or the other instead of figuring out how to develop art and science. Which is such a great segue to the last question I wanted to ask you, or at least there's, I mean, I would ask you questions all day, you know that, but this one was really the the biggest question is where do you think the biggest opportunities for fitness professionals or you know, serious professional coaches are going forward in the new landscape that is performance and fitness. Yeah. So I think the new landscape, I mean, if I look at what it is, people are still people. Like we said earlier, I believe that behavior and psychology drive a lot of those things or they drive everything underneath. Um, I think we've seen and we've been forced into reality that there are more options than ever. And those options exist in different types of training, uh, different places for training, different activities. So with those things said, I think the biggest skill that will make somebody valuable in the future is being able to coach in a way that guides people. Uh, I can find whatever I want. I can grab this and I can find a million workouts to do. What I can't find here easily is which is going to help me right now for where I'm at in life and what's going on? Or how do I balance out those really cool new Apple fitness workouts that came in here, but oh crap, they were fun to do, but now my shoulder's hurting. What do I do to balance this? People need coaching and that means teaching. That means guiding. That means, like you said, asking questions and listening and presenting solutions. So I think we're going to see that aspect grow. I don't need you to count my reps or give me a workout. I can get that anywhere. Guide me, help me achieve my goals and coach me. Yeah, I 100% agree. And this is actually the thing I, I'm hoping to really promote with this podcast series is the idea that like, there's a middle ground here between, you know, what we're currently doing and what needs to be done that we've achieved already, but we're not there. And there needs to continue to be more collaboration, not less. And I see too much individualizing in fitness. And I think, you know, we can talk again for another hour or two about the effect of social media on this, but this idea that you you hold this one person up and this one person has all the answers for you. And, and that if you just do exactly what that one person says, you're, you're bound to succeed, I think is something, that's one of my top five myths is, is that, that you can pick a person and they're gonna have all the answers for you. And you don't ever need to talk to anybody else or follow anybody else's methodology. Um, I would love to see that disappear personally yeah, because be good. Even I, and I say this to even all of my clients is like, go talk to another coach. Please talk to somebody who knows more about this than I do. Please go get a different opinion because the more knowledge you have, the more facts and information you have, the better picture you can draw of, of what you really need and the better you learn about yourself, you know? So Agreed. yeah. So fitness professionals, please continue learning. Right. Nice. That's, yeah. I think it's a pretty good wrap up, uh, kind of encompasses all the things we've talked about. And I would say this, I'd add this, you know, from my perspective last Chris, this is a great time because there's tons of opportunity. Mm -hmm. We are changing these things like we talked about, but that means there's new opportunity. Things are disrupted and people are sitting around going, Oh yeah, I have different time demands in my life. I have different, I, I care about health and immunity in a way maybe I didn't before. Yeah. Look, this is, this means there's opportunity for the people that are willing to grab it and do something useful with it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's plenty of, of learning out there. There are courses available. There's tons of resources out there for behavior change and for 
I know instilling better quality habits in people. This all of the major certifications have made this shift. If you're looking at it from a personal training point of view, and I'm hoping you're generous. I wouldn't say say they've all made that shift. I'd be much harsher than you. (laughs) I would say I'm not saying they're nailing it. I'm saying that you're seeing it. You know, you look at NASM and they're offering nutrition courses, and you're looking at you know ACE. They're offering behavior change specialties. The quality of those, I'm not really going to delve into, but they're there now. And 10 okay, years yeah. ago, we weren't, you know, I can remember when I did my precision nutrition level one, I was the only kid on the block that had ever even heard of that, you know, and now I can't throw a rock without some, without running into somebody who's at least interested in doing the PN level one nutrition certification, which is a great start, but it really doesn't cut it. If you're going to coach, it doesn't teach coaching. And I think that's where the real opportunities are is for some, some more like, behavior change, motivated coaching, education. Yep. There are. So we'll see who uh, keeps pushing that forward. Yeah. Maybe it's you. Maybe. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was as always really fun to talk to you and super informative and insightful. And yeah, Liz, what have you got? Anything else? Any last question? This was, this was great. Um, Now I think I asked, my questions uh you guys are incredible well thank you guys appreciate it no problem we'll talk soon bye bye (laughs) bye bye hey that's it for this week thanks for listening and i hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful they will be they will be helpful (laughs) it's what you take away from them wow the more you know (laughs) 